What you're about to hear was aired on Planet Philadelphia, environmental radio show on Germantown Community Radio, 92.9 FM, WGGTLP in Philadelphia, and on gtownradio.com. Thanks for tuning in to Planet Philadelphia. I'm Kay Wood, the host. Linda Rosenwine, our assistant producer and reporter, is here with me. And we're on a call with Johanna Bozowa. Thank you so much for having me here. Very happy to. We saw an article about the transitioning transportation sector and switching from fossil fuel vehicles to electric vehicles. And one of the headlines we saw said that the U.S. can shift to EVs without widespread destructive mining. And that sounded very interesting to us. But before we get into all that, would you just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yes, I absolutely can. So my name uh, is Johanna, and I am the executive director at the Climate and Community Project. We are a progressive climate policy think tank that works on a range of different issues, everything from critical minerals, which we'll be talking about today, to housing justice. And we work with a network of researchers and experts uh, across the United States who are contributing to the research that we produce. And uh, this research we're about to talk about today uh, was written and produced by, I think, about six different academics from a diversity of backgrounds to kind of create a very robust interdisciplinary approach to how we think about the climate crisis and the solutions. Tell us about this research. How was the study done? Then what did it find? Absolutely. So, Linda, really what we were interested in looking at is the fact that the transportation sector is the leading source of U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. It is about 28% of the greenhouse gas emissions that we have. And it's also the only major sector currently where we are seeing emissions continue to rise. So we absolutely need to be transitioning off of these internal combustion engines and to an electrified, decarbonized transportation future. But how we do that transition really matters. We need to think about the impacts of our decarbonization when we are doing the electrification of everything. And so one of the things in particular that was important to us was looking at the amount of mining that's actually associated with building the batteries that is necessary to power electric vehicles and to power these range of vehicles that we have to have on the road in a decarbonized transportation future. Because actually mining for those minerals, especially the one we look at, lithium, requires water, it's it's energy intensive, it can have indigenous impacts. So we wanted to answer the question, is there a way for us to decarbonize as quickly as possible in the transportation sector and limit the amount of mining? So what we did is some very new type of modeling where we modeled out different ways to decarbonize the U.S. transportation uh, sector and then 
attached that and modeled the material needs of those different transportation sectors. So how much lithium would we need to decarbonize in this way or that way? And we found that we were able to limit lithium extraction by 92% by in 2050 in comparison to the trajectory that we are on today of increasing amounts of uh, vehicles on the road. And the ways that we saw to limit that lithium extraction and the extraction associated with the transportation decarbonization was to have far more mass transit, far more active transit, like biking and walking, and limiting the size of cars. So just keeping these cars much smaller in an era when our cars keep on getting bigger and bigger. When you were doing this study, were you looking at life cycle issues related to greenhouse gases in addition to the amount of lithium? Yes. So we were trying to look at both the greenhouse gas reduction that we could achieve through the decarbonization process. We always made it very clear that any of the pathways that we propose would end in full decarbonization of the transportation sector in the United States. So we did look at uh, the life cycle of these cars and of the future transportation sector and then brought in alongside it the needs for lithium for those different horizons. Okay. And I believe the study had four specific recommendations. Could you tell us about that? Yes, I can definitely tell you about some of the recommendations that we came out with. So uh, number one, which is really interesting, is that we could actually limit the amount of lithium that's necessary by having smaller cars. By 42%, we could limit the amount of lithium extracted if we just stayed in smaller cars. And what we're seeing in the United States is that we're just seeing bigger and bigger cars get onto the road. And that is not only bad from a emissions or lithium extraction standpoint, it's also bad for passengers, it's bad for people who are walking, we're seeing so many more accidents happening, and people killed by cars because they are so large. So actually, we see a real societal benefit to United States stepping in and out of smaller vehicles, because that means it's not as heavy, that means that it takes less lithium for the batteries that have to power those, and it means that we have safer streets. So that's one uh, recommendation we have. A second recommendation is more active transit. You know, that means walking to work, making sure that there are bicycle paths, right? And actually one really great way that we saw is incentivizing electric bikes. People love electric bikes. In fact, they're taking up electric bikes faster than they are electric vehicles. And so there's a real opportunity to create more active and healthier cities by investing in the type of infrastructure we need for biking and walking. Then another way that we can limit the amount of lithium is mass transit. And why is that? Why would mass transit make it easier for us to have less lithium? Well, if you think of it, 
you know, there's a big bus that's carrying a hundred people along with it versus one vehicle that has one person in it. And in the mass transit scenario, it might be that, you know, a bus is pretty heavy. It, it will have a bigger battery that's necessary, but it's carrying so many more people to and from its destination. So making policy recommendations and making policy decisions that invest in mass transit, invest in bus systems will make a huge difference in how much we actually have to extract. And similarly, there are so many benefits to that. It particularly helps communities that are not as well off uh, ensures that they have more access to being able to get around a city. It allows for more accessibility in cities in a way that we don't have to have our entire cities and towns dominated by the car because people are in buses, they're in metros and all of these other things. And then the last piece I'll mention for a policy recommendation is recycling. We found that you could dramatically reduce the need for extraction if we increase the amount that we are recycling of these batteries. Right now, we don't have a good recycling system in the United States for lithium ion batteries. But if this was really accelerated, we could see a huge amount more of this recycled material getting into electric vehicles, into lithium ion batteries and buses that would make sure that we don't have to extract as much as we're currently projected to. Here in Philadelphia, there's a lot of discussion around mass transit. I'm sure there is in many communities and it is, as you stated, a justice issue. However, yes. in our past interviews on mass transit, even the proponents for mass transit said that when they interviewed people, they all wanted to drive cars. They were on mass transit because they had no other option. Mm. So how do we change that dynamic? It's a really, really good question. And I think that part of it is about how we are setting up our cities, right? How are we making it easier for someone to take a bus into town or take a bus to the grocery store than it is to hop in their car because policy informs culture. So if we have policies that are incentivizing people to ride buses and to ride the metro or the subway, that will actually help to shift culture as well. Let's say in Boston, so Mayor Michelle Wu has made a big commitment to mass transit. And one of the things that she has done is made a critical line in the city of Boston fare free. And what you see was when people had access to fare free and easy transit, they said that they felt it went faster, that it was easier, that they had more interest in actually getting onto that form of transportation. So I think part of it is that we have invested and you know different companies have incentivized us to get into cars. So our cities don't have the infrastructure they need so that hopping in a bus is so much easier. So the transit funding formula needs to be changed. I haven't really read up on this, but my understanding is that roads and vehicles get far more funding than mass transit. Absolutely, they do. That is 100% correct. And actually, uh, in Biden's recently passed Inflation Reduction Act, 
which, you know, made big commitments to decarbonization that we absolutely love to see. But really, most of the funding for transportation was going into electrified vehicles and was still going into highway infrastructure. Barely a penny was really going into the type of mass transit transformations we need. And so that means that we have these somewhat anemic transportation systems that desperately need to be able to invest in that transit infrastructure so people ride it so that they can keep on investing. And instead, we have this kind of like more of a death spiral happening in the United States instead of an investment. Yeah, that relates to another issue. Your recommendations, how are they related to the Inflation Reduction Act? The Inflation Reduction Act really focuses on incentivizing electric vehicles. You can get, you know, tax uh, deductions when you buy your own personal electric vehicle. And, you know, this has some benefits. And also, actually, the other thing that Biden's Inflation Reduction Act does is that it incentivizes moving mining onto U.S. soil. So the other piece here is that they actually want to be bringing it onto U.S. soil and extracting from our lithium reserves, which, uh, you know, is a complicated little piece there. Like their kind of conception is that this would offer them security, that they have the reserves and that, you know, they have more power over the mineral extraction. And maybe that makes it more sustainable. But in fact, the United States has a very old hard rock mining law that comes from 1872 that has not been updated with environmental protections, has not been updated with indigenous rights or human rights, right? So it's it's far outdated and doesn't actually reflect what we need in order to do, if we have to do some amount of lithium mining, which we do for the transition, that we do it in a safe, equitable and just manner. So I think that when it comes to the types of things that we can use the Inflation Reduction Act for, it's about building the regulation around the Inflation Reduction Act, right? The IRA was mostly about incentives, and we need to create the containers for this. So that means that we need to update the 1872 mining law, which would make sure that extraction that does occur in the United States is done in a just and equitable way. Um, we could also put regulations on the size of vehicles in the United States. You know, we implemented the CAFE standards, um, which required certain levels of car or vehicle efficiency. We could do something similar for lithium ion batteries and how big they could be in cars. So I think since there was not enough money in the inflation reduction for mass transit, I think we have to work around that and figure out where we can put the clamps on and limit the amount of bad extraction happening. In addition, I think that this, you know, up to state and cities to level up and really call for investments on the long term for mass transit um, and lead the charge so that the federal government sees the changes happening and we're feeling the groundswell so that the federal government has to invest in more mass transit on the long term because the Inflation Reduction Act just can't be the last thing we do on climate at the federal level. You mentioned that cities and states should ask for more mass transit funding. There is a fair amount of activism Mm -hmm. from communities that are affected 
But from when I've talked to people, they feel like they're screaming into the wind. It doesn't get Mm -hmm. that next step. Do you have any ideas about how to get to that next step? Mm. Yeah, it's a it's a really interesting question. I, I think it's a tough question. You know, we have a, a, an auto industry that has a huge amount of power in the halls of Congress, right? So it, it means that we are having to push back upon that. And in addition, mass transit is usually it's a public job, right? Like it's part of public infrastructure. And we have just seen decades upon decades of austerity that have hit our transit systems. You know, I think that, you know, climate is an opportunity for us to bring together multiple different groups of constituencies that may not have seen each other as allies into similar rooms calling for the same things. In this case, you know, the transit justice folks that have been on the forefront of this for decades, bringing in climate folks more aggressively, pulling them over from this focus on the electric vehicle as the be all end all of electrification of our transportation system, we've got to move the needle on some of our climate folks on this. So they're advocating for the same things as transit justice folks. And also, um, I think that there's an opportunity to ally with uh, people at the front lines of extraction where this lithium extraction is happening. They have very similar goals to the people who are fighting for better mass transit in their communities because it means less mining for them. So I think it is about the coalition building, these these new uh, assemblies of, of people that could come together to fight for more mass transit. And I also think it's about rollout, right? Like the when we are employing these different policies at the state and local level, let's lift them up and try to make them really land. So uh, I'm thinking about Denver, Colorado, just uh, had a very successful e-bike subsidy system that they set up to get people out of their cars and to, into more active forms of transportation. And it actually, I think it was oversubscribed, right? And so we're seeing that there are opportunities to push people in these directions. And when we have people uh, on e-bikes, then wanting the infrastructure so they can do it better, I think that is a way for us to build important feedback loops too. There's been a lot of focus here on doing it within our own country. Are you seeing that the strategies for lithium, use of lithium or mining would be the same in other countries? How are you thinking about that issue? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, lithium extraction is a global issue. This is not just the United States. The U.S. has a outsized impact on global lithium extraction because of our focus on passenger vehicles and not much mass transit. But the implications are global. So what one I will give is that actually a massive amount of extraction currently is happening in Latin America, where these multinational corporations are going in and there's kind of this rush to find lithium, right? So they're going in and it's the same mining companies that did things like coal, right? So it's it's the same actors who did the same things to other indigenous communities coming in now to extract lithium. And so I think there's a real 
important opportunity for solidarity with communities who are on the front lines of lithium extraction in places like the Atacama Desert in Chile, which is also one of the driest and oldest deserts in the world. And lithium extraction takes so much water. So, you know, there are these really important geopolitical multinational corporation dynamics that are at play for the actual extraction that we need to be contending with, especially as the United States with our outsized powers. On the other edge, though, I think it's really interesting to see where people are making strides. So the EU just put together its thing it's called Recycling Battery Forum, that they have implemented pretty robust lithium ion battery recycling systems and policies. And that's a that's something the US doesn't really have yet. Uh, so they're already charting a path. And just as another point on mass transit, we're seeing that cities overall, especially in Europe, are shifting away from passenger vehicles. In Paris, car use has declined 30% from 2001 to 2015. That's pretty huge. Uh, and something we could see if we actually invested, right? Like they're trying to get cars out of the center of cities. And so uh, I am from, from the Netherlands as well. And so I have bicycling in my blood, right? But it actually, like the 1970s were really crucial to Amsterdam being able to have as much bike infrastructure as is possible, but now it's a part of our culture. And this gets back to this policy and culture connection. We have to take intentional steps to getting to that infrastructure that actually allows for a cultural underpinning of cycling places, of taking mass transit places. We've just put the value of vehicle transportation over pedestrian mm -hmm. transportation over the active transportation. So I'm mm -hmm. wondering, how can we change that priority list? I think that part of it is about building bike lanes, you know, as, as small as that sounds, it actually is about building safe bike lanes. I used to, when I was going into an office on a daily basis, I was biking around Washington, D.C., and every year there would be a biker who was commuting, who was, who was killed, Right. Because the, they were had to be in the middle of these high traffic roads without anything distancing them from the cars. And people are not being taught to look for cyclists because there aren't any on the roads usually. And it leads to these devastating situations where we are seeing cyclist death. And so we need to have protected bike lanes that are designed in to communities and are protected. And that was actually a huge part of the Amsterdam switch was making bike lanes and making whole, basically highways for bikers to get around and making sure that it actually, where the bike lanes were, was where people needed to go, right? Like taking them from where their home is to where the grocery shop is and having those things be close together. It, it is a lot of thinking about where bike lanes should be and how they can be made accessible to people. I think another piece is actually about making those smaller cars. I was reading a piece the other day that was talking about how the size of the car in the United States has 
gotten so much larger over the past you know, 20 to 30 years, right? And it used to be that if you got hit by a car, let's say on a bike or as you're walking, it would kind of hit you at like the thigh, the leg. Now, because they're so huge, they're hitting you in the head or they're hitting you where all of your inter- intestines and internal like stuff is uh, so that you're in a huge amount more danger with these bigger cars. So I think actually having smaller, safer cars on the road, in addition to protected bike infrastructure, could be a, a sea change alongside, you know, incentives to get people out of their cars. Linda and I were talking before we got on with you about they're designing different batteries out of different materials. So maybe we won't need to mine for lithium. So I do want to get back to that. But go ahead, Linda, you had a question. Well, that was actually what my question was. I heard (laughs) about that other than lithium and other than some of these rare metals. So one of the reasons our report, which is called Achieving Zero Emissions with More Mobility and Less Mining, focused on lithium in particular is because there are lots of different battery chemistries that are out there. People are really trying to innovate with it, trying to understand, you know, what is the best. But one of the consistent things that is necessary for these batteries that are in production now is lithium. And so that's why we looked at that, because our hypothesis was, well, you know, if we're able to limit lithium, then likely these other things, these other critical minerals like copper will likely take less too. Um, But there is some promising research on these different types of batteries that wouldn't require lithium, like the sodium battery, and that, you know, would likely not take much mining. And I think they should be invested in it. I think what we need is continued investment in research and development to make those things a reality. I think at the same time, we are at this critical juncture to mobilize and decarbonize as quickly as possible. So the question is like, how do we do both of these things at once? And um, I think it is investing in those like really exciting potentials for new types of batteries that actually eliminate the need for extraction altogether. And also doing all the other things that we've talked about on this call already for, which is, you know, mass transit, active transit, smaller vehicles, recycling, so that we just won't need as many cars. And we can update as these, you know, lithium ion uh, cars may be able to be taken out of service and we can put sodium ions or sodium in, for instance. I know supply chain has been a big issue. I'm thinking of that in relation to lithium and some of these rare metals. Have you, have mm. you thoughts about that? Like what we've talked the most about today is the extraction of lithium and then the end user. But there are a lot of different spots along the way, uh, which is the processing. It's the actual development of the cars. It's the recycling that happens afterwards. And each of those steps have environmental impacts. They have impacts on labor, on human rights. And I think it's something that in the process of making this transition, we should be building a new supply chain that is far more resilient and higher quality than it has been in the past. So so one thing that in fact comes to mind is the fact that a lot of auto producers are moving from the Midwest of the United States and are putting their electric vehicle development in uh, places like Tennessee. And 
you know, it's great. Absolutely. But part of the reason is that that's a way to get around unions because those are right to work states. And so are there ways for us to ensure that some of Biden's Inflation Reduction Act includes, you know, higher higher worker standards across the supply chain? Um, but I think that there's more work to be done in terms of ensuring that people who are employed across the supply chain uh, for decarbonized uh, transportation are it, have access to good jobs, safe jobs, and um, that the communities can thrive. I think listeners are probably thinking right now, well, how do I find out more? So what could you tell them? Absolutely. Well, you can read the entirety of the report on the Climate and Community Project's website, climateandcommunity.org. We also have a range of different uh, policy proposals. And, you know, in that report, uh, Achieving Zero Emissions with More Mobility and Less Mining, we also have profiles and case studies of what extraction looks like in four different communities in Europe, the United States, and Latin America to just give people a sense of like what what is at stake and why this is so important for us to be talking about as we make this swift decarbonization commitment on transportation. All right. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. So lovely to uh, chat with you all and speak with you soon. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. If you want to know more about Planet Philadelphia, go to planetphiladelphia.com. You could also find out more about other G-Town Radio programming by going to gtownradio.com. I hope you will consider making a small monthly donation to help Planet Philadelphia continue presenting interviews on important underreported environmental topics and exploring their complexities and intersections. Thank you so much for your support.